Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvarowski. On this week's episode, I welcome Greg Ward, Jeff Naylor, and Clive Lloyd on to talk about mental health. We talk about our own experiences with mental health. We talk about different types and different experiences that we had with courage and vulnerability. And we talk a little bit about accessibility. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project podcast on your favorite podcast platform. That's going to be the next podcast that I'm going to be hosting with my leadership coach, Susan Hobson. So we're going to be talking all things leadership. We're going to have some hard conversations on that podcast, and I'm really, really, really looking forward to bring that to you. The last thing I want to mention is that I don't want you to feel like I'm leaving you hanging with the maintenance and reliability work. And so if you're looking for reliability consulting, you want to pick my brain about maintenance, reliability, or asset management, definitely reach out to me, Rob's Reliability Project at gmail.com, or hit me up on LinkedIn, and I'll send over some pricing, and then we can jump on the phone. It's definitely something that obviously I have expertise in, and I know a lot of you need help. So definitely if you want some help on that side, hit me up and I'm happy to provide it to you. The last thing I want to mention is there's going to be an announcement with respect to this podcast coming up in the next few weeks. So just stay tuned for that. There's going to be at least one development and I'm excited to bring it to you. So definitely stay tuned in the next few weeks. Thanks for listening. And here's a message from my friends at UE Systems. UE Systems has been the premier source of ultrasound instruments, technologies, and support for 45 years. From handheld inspection tools, state-of-the-art, and complementary software, and now permanent sensors with 24-7 condition monitoring, UE Systems has everything you need to take your ultrasound program to the next level. UE Systems has given us at Rob's Reliability Project a great, and you as listeners to Rob's Reliability Project, a great offer. We have a special offer. If you go to uesystems.com slash training slash online courses, the link is in the podcast notes, you can get a complimentary online training course from UE Systems. You can choose between lubrication best practices and functions, mechanical inspection and lubrication, electrical inspection, steam trap inspection, or compressed air leak survey. So if you go to uesystems.com slash training slash online courses and sign up for one of those courses, enter Rob's Reliability Project in the comment section, you'll get that course for free a savings up to $495. So that's a great offer. I definitely recommend you check that out. I took one of the courses last year. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I also learned a fair amount from it. So definitely go out there. Definitely register for an online course, and you can do it at work, at home, wherever. It's great. Definitely sign up and get that for free. So welcome, welcome, welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvarowski. We're back with another mental health podcast with three of my favorite mental health guests. We have Greg Ward. Greg, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Coming to you from not quite sunny New Zealand, but uh, it's going to be a lovely day. Not quite sunny, but still in lockdown somehow. <laughs> Too true. And then we got Jeff Naylor. Jeff, how are you? Yeah, really good. Um, in um, in COVID, dirty COVID lockdown, Melbourne, and have been for months. So it's been a long haul here. So, but now going well. Good, good to hear. And we have Clive Lloyd. Clive, how are you? I'm well, Rob. I'm in sunny Queensland, um, and we're not in lockdown. So sorry, Jeff. <laughs> sorry to rub that in, but yeah, doing well, mate. Yeah, it looks like oh, you got a tan, so I'm jealous over here in, in Edmonton. But Clive, 
Before we get into it, you know, you just released a book called Next Generation Safety Leadership. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about it? Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> didn't, didn't know that was coming. A free plug. So thanks, Robbie. Look, it's, it's essentially a safety book or a safety leadership book, although many people have actually let me know that I should probably take the word safety out of it. That's what um, that was in my that, initial thought really, to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's look, I, I put that to the publisher and, and they said, yeah, well, you know, smarty pants, how, how are the target audience going to know it's about safety, which was a fair point. Uh, look, it, it really, as the title suggests, or the subtitle suggests, it's moving from that tick in the box compliance, pointy finger, do as you're told compliance to, to more creating trust and creating psychological safety and what leaders need to, to do, uh, what they need to know and what they need to do to be able to create that. Uh, within their teams, so it's yeah, it's kind of got a mental health overlap. I do, do believe too, Rob. <laughs> I love it. I, I like honestly, like the more I get into the leadership side of just maintenance and reliability, or even anything like leadership doesn't really matter what company you're in. The more I really realize mm -hmm. it, it does impact mental health, and it, it does in, impact those engagement statistics and all that stuff, and. Like, like when you, when I saw your book, I see the quotes coming out on LinkedIn and, and my, I was like, this doesn't have to be safety leadership. This is everything. No, no, absolutely. And I guess one of the links is, and I, I was just reading um, construction industry in, in Australia and fairly recent publication came out. Uh, we lose a construction worker to suicide every second day in Australia. Now that might not sound like a huge number, but we, we're a very small population. And again, part of that reason is like construction is overrepresented, hugely overrepresented in, in that issue. And what does that come down to, really? Um, this, this whole notion that you know, it's somehow we, we can't talk to our colleagues, we can't talk to um, other men um, or bloody anybody. And still in that industry, um, I believe we have a role as leaders in that industry to, to actually make it safer to do so. so yeah, I think the overlaps, you could take the word safety out, maybe replace it with psychological safety at the very least. Um, we're a long way from where we ought to be on that stuff. Yeah, it's it's funny, right? Like something I was talking to uh, a guy yesterday and he was talking about like he's a mechanic and he was talking about some of his experiences at site. And he said like he has been to worked at a few sites where the engineers at site basically told him, don't talk to me because you're a mechanic and I'm an engineer. And it's, it's that kind of attitude that I see in like across heavy industry, like mining, oil and gas, like construction. It doesn't really, I don't think it really matters. It's all these no. macho industries Not and sure. it's, it's awful. Like, let's, let's be honest about it. Like we need to do better. Yeah. We do. And for, for me, it's um, this insane idea this story that we tell ourselves and well and to be fair we've had the story told to us that it's weak to to talk you know if we're vulnerable it's weak for men to talk and i said what a load of crap um, but to be fair we have that story because we've heard that story so many times we grew up with that story and um, but i would challenge it i would challenge it by by the simple notion of really how courageous is it to say nothing Anybody can do that, right? I think it's the, it's the complete opposite. I think it's the complete it's opposite. The complete opposite. It's, it's courage to speak up about it, um, which is amazing. And I think it goes across many industry sectors, not just the heavy industry. And I, yeah. I do a lot of um, problem solving training, and I've, I've done that. I've done some of that in in the defence space, and uh, and that's that's pretty you know, hairy at times as well in this space. So. Um, and there's there's lots of industries struggling with it, so and and uh, yeah. so it's not just limited to men either. Like Greg, Greg, you you span no. like a different range of industry than probably well, definitely Jeff and Clive and myself. Like, what do you see out there? Uh, I see a, a really huge range. Uh, primarily, I'm working in the events game uh, these days, and really interesting. If you look at it from a gender split, you know, it's a significant uh, amount more female uh, leaders within the events industry. And uh, yes, we do have challenges with, uh, you know, very long hours and, and challenges with the mental health um, perspective. But I think there's a much more nurturing kind of experience that we have in that realm. 
and I've come from a multitude of different industries uh, in you know factories and uh, the military and various things. And as you were talking about that that element between uh, you know a mechanic not being able to talk to an engineer, there's this hierarchical structure, very similar to my experience in the military. Uh, where the moment that you are slightly up or you perceive yourself to be slightly up from a rank perspective, uh, all those relationships change and uh, you're almost forced in those areas to act differently uh, in a way that's belittling of the people below you um, and sycophantic to the people above you. Um, because it's those ranks, which is not healthy in any way, shape or form. Um, so, you know, it's, it's conversations like this that we have an opportunity to be able to share our experiences and hopefully change someone else's perception and some and the way someone else perceives things. Oh, actually, I'll share this. This is this struck me this morning. My daughter is twelve, and this is not nothing to do necessarily with safety. So this is about how we think. My daughter's twelve, and uh, like like any twelve-year-old girl, she likes to wear shorts. Um, and unfortunately, it seems to be the shorts are getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> This morning, I was going to say to my daughter, oh, well, look, we've got some workmen coming around who are going to be building, you know, doing some building on our site. So maybe you want to think about what you wear. And then I realized that what I was doing was putting all of this, this challenge that we have in, in terms of the sexuality on my daughter. And it's got nothing to do with my daughter. It's the behavior of the men. It's got nothing to do with the girls. So how can, you know, turn, turning that conversation around, I'm thinking about that as an example this morning, but the same thought process applies to how we deal with uh, safety, how we deal with uh, mental health and wellness. Um, we, we have to look at things differently, turn them around from the opposite end, look through the other end of the telescope. I love it. And Greg, like, you know, you're very courageous in how you speak about mental health. And, and I guess like what I want to ask you is sort of like, how did you get to that point where you're able to share your story so openly? Well, that was that came off the the back of the, a suicide attempt in 2018, and that wasn't an isolated was not an isolated incident. That that was uh, uh, one of probably the, the the closest to it that I've uh, ever become. But um, there were certainly elements over the course of my lifetime, and I didn't deal with any of it, uh, it and it, probably because I didn't have the tools necessarily, uh, or wasn't. Uh, self-aware enough to be able to uh, find a way through and I was very fortunate that I was in a situation where I had a catalyst that allowed me to then make some change so at this particular conference um, I uh, had this attempt on the Sunday night Monday morning um, I'm about to start this conference and uh, the convener came to me and asked me if they uh, if, he, if I could help him out because he wanted to close the conference, but he was only going to speak for about 15 minutes and they had a half hour slot. And he asked me if I'd speak on wellness, which was one of the themes of the conference. And of course, I couldn't tell him what, where I'd been and what I'd been doing. But of course, as the MC for the event, it's always about you. It's always, always giving, right? So a lot of this energy going out. So I said, uh, yep, sure, I'll help you out. And I came up with some Pat story that I thought might be able to suffice. Then spent the next two days in crisis, uh, still doing the role outwardly, very, you know, working well, internally a mess. And we got to the end of the conference. He gets on stage and speaks his beautiful story about overcoming uh, anxiety after a near drowning. And when it became my turn, I realized that my little Pat story wasn't going to work. And for the first time, just shared what life was like for me with the way I go through life. So very high highs, very low lows, uh, long nights away with uh, events, uh, lonely hotel rooms, very um, impersonal um, and lots of alcohol. And it got to the point uh, at the end of that conference where the audience were very receptive of it. And I walked off stage and as I walked off the stage, uh, someone came up behind me, a young lady, touched me on the arm and said, Greg, thank you for sharing that. I thought I was the only one. That was the catalyst right then. So I had the opportunity to speak, but then I also had this, uh, a, a specific effect that I had on somebody in a positive way from the sharing of my story of actually just opening up and being vulnerable. And of course that doesn't just magically happen. 
uh, you know, things didn't become great uh, immediately. I still had to do a significant amount of work on myself and just sort of go, where, who am I? Where am I fitting in the world? And the realization was, I'm enough. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. I don't have to be the best at absolutely everything. I don't have to beat myself up about things. Just be you. And that's harder than it, uh, than it sounds. It's quite an easy thing to say. Just be you. But we are so conscious of other people's opinions. Sometimes it's just easy, easy to take a moment and go, you're enough. Be you. Yeah, and I, I think and like, Greg, go ahead, sorry. Sorry, Rob, I'm, I'm just curious because again, that it is just so well, awesome, Greg, to hear a man um, so authentic, prepared to share share a story like that. Uh, as you're doing so for us and, and, and the people listening to Rob's podcast, you're not concerned on therefore how people view you, whether they see you as weak somehow because clearly you're not um what is what makes you able to actually do this and um, for rob to do this and for jeff to do this that's a really interesting question i f i just feel particularly comfortable that i can share who i am and that we 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 always talk a lot of people do talk a big game we should talk more about mental health we should you know we should share it's quite a right to share but our own experiences often show us that by doing that we often get beaten down because of that uh, or we're not taken seriously and i had a wonderfully nurturing experience where i could do that and be valued for it so i think there is a there's a catalyst point there uh but it's also, I think there's an age thing too. And I'm, I'm 50 now, okay. 51, sorry. And, and that's a, another, another point is that the older you get, the less you really give a toss about other people's- um, <laughs> Give a shit. <laughs> I mean, like, <clears throat> you know, like I, I'm not sure age actually has too much to do with it, to be honest. Like yeah. I'm 32 right now. And like, I started sharing about my depression in December. And really, I think what it was for me was just like realizing that my story had value and that I could help people with it. And I think like, like I've gone pretty deep on the podcast and like, you guys know, like I believe for the longest time, probably, you know, eight to 10 years or so that I thought like, Basically, I thought my, the only way my life would end would be like me committing suicide. And I think that the more you talk about it, the more you realize that like it's those statistics about mental health are mind boggling. It's like 30% of the population goes through it once in their lifetime or something like they're, they're insane. And it's like, the more you talk about it, I think just the more you find other people like my network, like I've gotten messages all around the world from people who said like, I listened to your show, you talked about this, you know, I knew somebody who killed themselves, I suffer with whatever. And it, and it like it, to me, it built community. And I think like, it's something like Clive, you know, like with leadership, like something that, that, you know, builds psychological safety is, creating these spaces where people can be vulnerable and they're not like made fun of. Like, I think the, the, like the worst thing you could possibly do is when Greg says, you know, Hey, or when I say, Hey, like, you know, like I, I thought I could kill myself. You like point and laugh at me. Like, then you're going to destroy trust forever. Like, do you want to talk a little bit about that side of leadership? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You say that Rob, I was, um, I won't mention obviously a, a client or anything, but I was just talking to a senior leader, well-intended. And what he was saying was, um, look, I've been reading Clive about psychological safety. Um, what I want to do then is to, you know, to have a team where everybody has the courage to speak up. And I thought, wouldn't it be better if they actually could speak up, but didn't need courage to do that? You know, wouldn't it be great if they could just speak up and take the whole courage thing? And he kind of missed the point for me. 
Um, creating that safe place, that psychological safety is not about helping your people to be courageous. That's just not what this is about. It's actually creating a space where people know that it's just safe to share how they're feeling, to speak up um, without uh, negative repercussions, without judgment. And, I, you know, one of the things I love about this, this particular group here, this, this uh, group of people, is that it's such a safe place. And I know when we've had people, uh, sort of when we've done Zoom sessions and there are people live listening and, and commenting, um, particularly females, actually, when we've done previous sessions, they just comment at how amazing it is and how wonderful it is that you've got four guys talking about stuff like this. And I'm, I'm like you, maybe it's just, um, I'm going to agree with Rob, I don't think it's necessarily an age thing, but at least I've got to the point where I actually don't really care what people think anyway. Um, <laughs> somebody wants to think I'm weak, you go for it, my friend. Uh, that does not affect me one jot. Um, I am not your judgment. And in fact, what you think of me is none of my business. Um, but yeah, we need to lose this notion that for to do something about mental health means we need courageous workers. No, we don't. We need people who feel safe to speak up. And there's a big difference there. I, I couldn't agree more. Oh, uh, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, sorry. I, I, I have to agree wholeheartedly, Clive. I think it's, um, you know, I got to a point where I, don't, I really don't care now what people think. I, I found it very cathartic, uh, you know, getting this group together and talking about this stuff uh, for me personally. But um, also, you know, the, the trust that we have, I think, in this group is fantastic. So, uh, it's been yeah. fabulous and if people are if we've helped one person out there that's fantastic uh, you know I, look, I, had a, I had a story yesterday and I, I think we've got to normalize this you know we keep talking about how wonderful this group is and and to being able to have the trust and open communication we've got to normalize this throughout society so we shouldn't think about this as unusual we should think about this as the, just the way it should be yeah. in my opinion and and just keep keep yeah. pushing that out there uh, for instance, I had a really amazing experience yesterday. So we've, we've got a highly sensitised disabled child in a wheelchair. So he's, you know, noisy goes off and, and heat and cold goes off. So we've, we had someone come out yesterday to quote on double glazing windows around the house. And you know, I ended up talking to this guy and um, I opened up a little bit and he opened up a little bit. And in the end, it turned out he had one child who'd committed suicide at 14. Another child who had multiple attempts at suicide over the last five years, the council that he was under had tried, had taken his children off him at one stage for a week. His one child off him for a week, and it just all came out. And and at the end of it, he said, "Thank you. I feel so much better even just talking about it because I normally don't talk about it." You know, and I thought, "Wow, I'm 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 not in your profession, Clive, and I would never profess to be, but just being a bloke who's open to communicating about this stuff makes such a difference." It, it just, as you, you use the word normalise there, Jeff, and I think you're right. We, we've got to sort of start to at least move towards normalising that speaking um, about being vulnerable is actually, you know, a fine thing to do. It's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's a safe thing to do. And that means sometimes I think as, as Australian males, and I know it's not just Australia, um, losing this notion that um, being vulnerable is just not okay somehow. And it is literally just a story. It's a story that we tell ourselves as men, um, but we don't make it up. It's not a story we just invent. We've heard this story. Um, and we've heard this story from perhaps the, the men in our lives and they heard it from men in their lives. What are we gonna do? You know, keep perpetuating this myth because all previous generations had the story. This is not a good story to hand down. There are much better stories to hand down than this. And, you know, yes, we need to normalise it, but let's give the next generation also a head start here. Uh, let's start telling those young males a really different story about what it actually means to be a, a man, what, what being a, a good man, a strong man actually is like, um, what they do. And strong men actually are prepared to be vulnerable because if, you're, if you have a sense of strength about yourself, you're all right in your own skin, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you be vulnerable? Now, this is a new story. Um, let's get it uh, start telling the new story to the young generation and of course our existing males too we've got to continue this normalization process um, progress has been made but i was reading this morning um, a, 
and Rob, you were right. It's between 25 and 30 percent of uh, of men will suffer a mental health episode in their lives, but it's sitting around 12 to 15 percent a year um, who experience mental health. And the study showed that only a quarter of men, only a quarter of men, would seek help. So we're a long way from normalisation here. Think about that. Um, if somebody um, had physical symptoms, a physical illness, the percentage that would go to be go to the doctor, I think, would be a lot, lot higher than twenty five percent. But because now we're talking about our mental health, it seems that oh my god, that's mental health. Oh, oh, oh. Men don't do that. What a crappy story. I mean, I'll just like I I'm not sure if I talked about it on our last episode, but. I mean, I was probably depressed for something around seven, eight, nine months before I went to the hospital. And then like, yeah, like we talked about, I know we talked about the care I received, which was a disaster and actually made everything worse. And so like, that's where, you know, I, I think like I wanted to share my story with that because I think like for me as an engineer, I, I've, I, the more I get into it, the more I realize like, for me, I think like, it's like building a bridge. Like if someone says to me, Rob, you need to build a bridge and it's got to support 20,000 pounds. Like I'm going to get it right. It's going to be perfect every single time. It's going to do everything it's got to do. But when you go into the doctor and you're suffering with depression, they look at their chart and they throw, you know, an SSRI at you. And then if that one doesn't work, they throw another one at you and that one doesn't work. And then they throw an SNRI at you. And it's like, it's very much a trial and error thing. And what I found is like, like even recently, like this has happened to me both times I've really gone in for medical care around, you know, depression and anxiety is like, it's trial and error. It doesn't seem like anyone has any idea what actually works and what doesn't. And then like, I went to a psychiatrist and he's like, don't bother with the pills, just get talk therapy. It's like, well, then why did we go here in the first place? And it, look, it, it is, to be fair, it is complex. And there are different forms of depression. I'm sure they've given you that whole story, Rob. <laughs> um, exogenous versus endogenous. Unfortunately, they lost those terms. They don't tend to talk about exogenous and endogenous, whereas I always found those terms really quite helpful um, to just decide whether or not this is, you know, something that can be treated with um, medication best or is it actually best through through talk therapy and cognitive behavioural stuff or, or a mixture of both. Um but yeah, it's, you're right. It's finding the support that actually works for you, finding what works for you. And at the very least, Robin, at the, the very least, people listening, just talk anyway. Um, just talk anyway. Don't wait for the medication to fix it. Just talk to trusted people that you can. They're out there. Yeah, and I think that's something and that... They might like, not all be mental health professionals. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think it still helps, right? Like, I think you know, specifically with me, like the more, like I, I'm part of another group that does meetings, you know, weekly. And it's, it's for me, what I've sort of leaned on them for is like the love and the support that I need that I somehow can't give myself. Like something that Greg mentioned early, right. Is like, you know, it's easy. Like we're very, a lot of us are, are good at giving empathy and compassion to others, but we treat ourselves really terribly. And I think like, that's something that, you know, especially like, I don't know, it's probably the same for women, but it's like, it's something that I think we learn is like, you know, we drive ourselves hard. We should be better. Like we expect the perfection. And it's like when, when someone else is struggling, but we still reach out a hand to them, but, but for ourselves, it doesn't work like that. I'll have to agree with you on there, Rob. I think even, you know, as you were saying that I'm thinking of myself in uh, it's just recently been Father's Day over here. And as a consequence, we have um, uh, gifts. A consequence. <laughs> I find it really difficult to accept receiving something that's really well intentioned and well meant um, and obviously yeah. given with love. Uh, there's still that, that, that sense within me that that is you know I, I i i'm not deserving of these gifts and that's something to constantly combat you know i keep as, as i mentioned before you know uh, I, we are enough i am enough uh it's just you just have to keep reiterating that 
And I wanted to also talk um, around uh, Clive's concept uh, around stories. And I think, you know, stories are incredibly powerful. And um, one of the challenges we have is, is our subconscious really can't tell the difference between fantasy or reality. So the story we tell ourselves becomes true, depending on how we, we feel about it. Uh, but with along with stories, this relates to my my history. Uh, we have a uh, this what we think or what we thought was a hundred year history of suicide in my family, going back to my great grandfather. And I researched him and found that he'd had died in what was then called a mental hospital and institution in, in Yorkshire in England. Uh, but he'd only been in there for a week, and he, apparently he'd suffered uh, some form of breakdown. Gone in there a week later, he he passed away. And they did an autopsy and found that he died of a brain hemorrhage uh, caused by syphilis. Now, the hushed tones that were spoken about him all through my childhood was that he had died in a mental hospital. Oh, you know, must, you must have um, the gene. You must have the gene because, you know, your great grandfather um, died in a mental hospital and, and my grandmother also um, uh, committed suicide. And I've gone back through and thought and when I found this information about that he he'd passed away through a disease through the syphilis it changed how I thought about myself suddenly I wasn't oppressed by this uh, predetermined path that I must be in some yeah. way uh, you know going, going to be impacted by um, mental illness now my challenges I met with my with my father a couple of weeks back not even a, no, a week ago sat down with them and I said, oh, I want to share this with my cousins who were still living in England about what I found about, about um, uh, your grandfather. And he said, oh, you don't need to do that. Oh, no, it probably doesn't affect them. And it was the rid most ridiculous thing. And I realized that that's, that sense of secrecy that oh, I, don't, yeah. I, I don't want them to know that, um, you know, that he died of syphilis. It's like, no, the truth, the truth is so beautiful and powerful. It is so important that our stories are truthful because without the truth we just don't have the ability to grow and learn uh and 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 become the people we need to be amazing when i was doing a lot of um that's an amazing story greg uh, so many um thoughts sparked out of it when i was doing a lot of uh drug and alcohol rehabilitation work there was a, a very common saying that secrets keep us sick and secrets can keep family sick. And you, you just nailed it with your story there. As long as that's a secret, then um, the, the information gets warped. The information becomes untrue. And then we look for other things like, oh yeah, it must be a gene, must be a mental health gene. <laughs> and all the time people are living that story, you know? Um, and that story can have a huge impact. If that's the story that I've inherited, if that's the story that I told myself at a young age, our core beliefs are formed at a young age and it becomes what we call our script right the script that we live off all because we're trying to protect a secret and um yeah we we've got to get past that and just just have stories that are based on reality thank god you didn't get a syphilis gene huh? <laughs> <laughs> so clive like as far as we know like obviously you're a psychologist now as far as we know is there any hereditary aspect to mental illness or is it just like we're modeling behaviors that we see our parents have or we're modeling i don't know something like the belief systems that we have around ourselves yeah look there is um like most things rob like most things there there's a whole nature nurture debate how much is genetic how much is hereditary versus how much is, is learned behavior and like most things there is a hereditary component there's a genetic component to, to mental illness. And, and look, mental, uh, mental illness is a very big subject. There's many different um, expressions of it, but there can be a genetic, um, if you will, predisposition to that. However, um, that is not a defining feature. Um, it's generally speaking, the environment, our learned behavior is what we learn that determines largely whether that is uh, becomes manifested or not. So. Um, there might be a tendency for some mental health um, challenges to, to run in families, as it were, because of that. But again, if the environment that we're placed in, if the stories that we, we tell, it's hard to tease them apart sometimes. What was the genes and what was the stories that I heard? Uh, like Greg's story is a classic. 
thing. There might be something genetic in the family, but really that's not what did the damage, right? The, the, the damage was about the stories that we heard. And so while genetics may play a role, it's largely the environment. It's largely our learned experience, the stories we hear that actually tend to, to make the biggest difference. Now, of course, that does differ from um, you know, mental health condition to mental health condition. Some, some conditions are more genetic than others, possibly. But the environment is still a very, very important factor. Uh, twin studies, uh, this is where we do most of our research in terms to, to tease out what is genetic and what is not genetic. They uh, poor old identical twins, right? Um, there's identical twins all around the world that have been lumped in to do these studies. We particularly like it, of course, if genetic, uh, well, identical twins were separated at birth. <laughs> and then we can actually track them in different families to see what, what was about the genes and what was about their learned experience. And what we know from those identical twin studies is that genetics can play a role. But where one was raised in this family and one was raised in this family with different stories, one raised in an alcoholic family, one and so forth. It's that environment that tends to make the most difference. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I mean, I don't know if I have a twin, so maybe maybe there's a study happening. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, the ethics said they should tell you, Rob, if that's the case. <laughs> Google's doing a study. I know that. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You can you can count on that one. <laughs> so, Clive, we know you got you to gotta leave early. Do you want to give us a plug for uh, just consulting and your book before you get out of here? That's really kind of you, Rob. Um, I, I, more to the point, I, I really hope we get to have a chat again. I really enjoy, always love listening to your shares. Always love um, hanging out with you guys. And hopefully we can we can be some form of role model here in terms of for other men that, hey, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm not particularly brave, right? Um, I run from spiders, for goodness sake. <laughs> um, my, my wife actually catches the spiders around here. I don't. Um, it's not about courage. It's about... Um, unlearning what we've, we've, we've taught about being men and manly and um, yeah, just help us change the story, gentlemen. Let me put that. Uh, just consulting um, is a psychological consultancy. Generally speaking, Rob, we, we help organizations to develop their cultures, develop their safety climate, but mostly we, we work with leaders to become, to, to do things better, to become better leaders um, is really what we do. I love that. I love that. And, and you know what? I mean, I, I understand running from spiders like you guys down there, you actually have spiders that can kill each other or kill you. Like here, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, see, um, some of them, you're right. In Australia, we've got all these deadly creatures and we know you guys overseas hear a lot about that for some reason. Um, we have um, some deadly spiders. We also have really, really little harmless ones and some, some fairly big harmless ones. It doesn't matter to me. I see eight legs. I'm out of the room screaming for Tanya. <laughs> at least you have a brave one in the family you know <laughs> yeah you bet <laughs> i'll say farewell gentlemen um enjoy the rest of your conversation absolutely thanks for joining us Clyde. bye fellas so jeff i just i wanted to to ask you you know like you know your your you know your your child has some some issues and like something that I've really been, the more I get into this and the more I learn about belief systems and how early they're formed, it like freaks me out to ever have a kid. Like, how do you like manage like what you do? And like, Greg, you kind of mentioned it with your daughter earlier, but like, how do you actually manage that when you're uh, interacting with your child? Uh well, look, it's challenging. I think you, you said to me some time ago that I, you don't think I've entered the gateway uh, yet. So maybe I haven't. But um, the, the, you know, some of that, some of that's probably been self-preservation. But a bit, the first um, five years of my child's after the diagnosis, I probably spent in a, in a days uh, just literally functioning enough to go to work and bring money in, and my wife was looking after everything. But um, there's a there's a whole gamut of issues that have happened since then, but now we now we manage a business across multiple states and countries um, from our home with uh, my wife doing a lot of the account stuff and uh, me doing me doing what I do and we've got guys working for us and we, we seem to manage um, but we we have the national disability insurance scheme here and uh, we now have carers come in every day to look after our son and uh, you know exercise him and do stuff. 
so that helps a lot. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, the morning and morning and night time, he's he's ours, but he has a hair trigger as well, so uh, things can flare up pretty quickly. But um, you know, I, I guess in some ways that it makes you far more well-rounded as an individual emotional intelligence side. And you know, I think you know I've had my own demons as well because of that. But um, but also I, I mentioned ages ago to you guys in one of the previous chats. I grew up in a family that were two loving parents, but there was a domestic violence situation in the family because of alcohol. Um, so, you know, uh, I, and uh, Greg, one thing you said to me early, said earlier in this session about you know we just have to move forward, and I think Clive backed it up. I, I, some of that stuff. You know, there's always a little demon on your shoulder saying, will it be me? Will I carry that forward in generations? And so I've just had to say to myself, it ends with me. There is no, there is none of that in my life going forward and my kids will never feel it. So you know, some things you just have to be brave and uh, move forward as best you can, I think. Uh, but, you know, that's a challenge every day with the, with the business and running that. Uh, I, I think the normal person out in society wouldn't understand what it's like to have a a high needs, high, highly triggered disabled child. I mean, the, the door knocks, the dog barks, the child screams, and it uh, takes five minutes to calm things down again just to get in the door. <laughs> so so that's not normal, and it's just not. So, But it is what it is. I think I'm quite, I think I'm quite normal, really. <laughs> <laughs> you, you seem to be doing a great job, Jeff. I have to say that. <laughs> I have to give you kudos. Like, I don't know how to manage even basically myself. So I couldn't imagine trying to manage someone else too. Now, Greg, how about you? Like you, you mentioned your daughter, you're, you're kind of aware of how you're behaving or at least interacting with her. Like, how do you kind of, like, how do you manage that? I think the, yeah, just being, being open and honest, I think is really one of the biggest things. Uh, and we we've i have twins <laughs> talking about twins um so uh, uh boy boy girl twins so not particularly great for studies but um they 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 are certainly good from our perspective because we use them um as they were growing up we would look use one of the twins as a benchmark right so you go this one's doing that is the other one doing it well if they are at the same time it's probably okay if they're not then maybe we'll just start looking at what the what the differences are um but we, we, my wife and I have always had this approach of um, no subject is taboo and no, uh, no situation is hidden. So we've allowed our kids to grow up in an environment that is very, very different from certainly mine. And, and Jeff, you mentioned the alcoholism and that certainly was uh, a major thing. Domestic violence and alcoholism was, were, were major factors in my childhood. Uh, and that was certainly I think my proclivity for alcohol came from that. Um, thankfully, that's not a factor for me anymore. Uh, but it took me obviously almost well, to my life now, you know, so until two years ago to realistically do something about that. Uh, but uh, we both came from, well, my wife and I both came from broken marriages. And we know the effect that that had on us. And we both chose independently that that's, we weren't going to allow that situation or the, that kind of environment to happen for our kids and as a consequence it's meant that we are just so open with the kids and they I think they they get it but they don't have any perspective of what we went through and so it's always a bit of a challenge when when you're trying to explain um, the whole process of what you've got on your plate is you're going to eat that and if you don't eat that there's nothing more and and the differences in my childhood that came with a severe corporal punishment aspect, whereas it doesn't happen now. Um, but it is it, trying to find ways of doing things and not replicating what your parents do. And very occasionally I will hear my father's voice come out of my mouth. And it's a very scary thing. It's how thankfully it's, it's very rare, but uh, at the same time, it's a really good reminder uh, that that is where I don't want to be. And as you said, Jeff, as well, it stops with me. It stops with this generation. And we allow our children uh, to grow in a different way. And probably in, you know, 10 years, 20 years, they'll come and sit down and be very angry and say, when I was 10, you did this. And um, 
will screw them up in, in their own different ways. <laughs> but it's certainly like <laughs> the experience that we had as children. That's, yeah, that's the nightmare I think is almost inevitable. But uh, yeah, I guess we, we should wrap up here. So Greg, do you have anything to plug? Like where can people find you? Uh, thank you very much indeed, Rob. It's, look, I, I'll have to echo Clive as well and say, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy catching up with you guys. This is a, a really special team and we, we've got so much trust with each other uh, and it's a wonderful environment to be able to just share and just to talk. Uh, so for me, I mean, you, you can find me, uh, gregwardspeaker.com is uh, my website. I work uh, virtually, I work all over the world, um, physically as well. I've uh, done a significant amount of travel across the course of my career, mainly working as a master of ceremonies host uh, and as a keynote speaker these days, um, which is that moments that matter the power of now, vulnerable leadership and various other things around sharing and empathy and, and how to how to be a guy in these, in these times, I think is probably one of That'll have to be another episode, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you very much indeed, Rob. No, thanks for joining us, Greg. Uh, I was just going to tell you before you jumped on that uh, your American accent's probably as good as my Australian accent. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, how about you? Where can people find you? Oh, they can find me at um, uh, cfrt.com.au. Or, um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn as Jeff Naylor and we've got a business page on there. So uh, I won't give too much of a plug there. Um, one, thing, one big thing just before we finish up that uh, happened to me recently, I've been advocating, you know, because of the disabled child, I've been advocating for access and inclusion in my municipality and broader for about four years. And last week, uh, it's coming up to election time here. So I'm not, and I'm not political at all, but I've put a, I've put a complete, access and inclusion overlay over the whole election by asking every candidate, every incumbent and every candidate, this is where we're at, we're 20 years behind, what are you going to do if you get back in or what are you going to do if you get in? And in the end, uh, a motion got put forward at the at the last council meeting after a, after a Zoom catch up with the mayor and one of the one of the directors at council. And they put, a, put forward a motion to put an access and inclusion policy overlay across the whole council top to bottom that's what yeah. that's an advisory committee that's going to go through the lot so i'm really really proud of that so yeah just in my spare time Je jeff you have more political power than you let on you know and well uh, what it taught me is we all do why well, i'm one person actually you know because i've got a fair network in that space as well and uh the reach that they that the council knows that i have uh, is incredible so they're, they're actually um yeah, they, they, they tend to work with you when they know that. So it's good. <laughs> <laughs> when you have something they need, they'll, they'll always support you then. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So anyway. And it's like, in some ways, it's like the mental health thing. They, they, they've been working on a compliance base for years and years and years, thinking we're doing a good job, we're compliant. But it's not about compliance. It's about inclusiveness. It's two different things. And it's like men talking or men engaging in discussion about and including mental health in that discussion. It's, it's a different plane altogether. That's what I like about it. That's why I see some sim, some uh, assimilation there of, of, um, of some connectivity of what's, what's going on in different facets of my life. That's the same sort of breakthrough moment. I love it. And yeah, I mean, it's like congratulations and definitely like, yeah, it's, it's actually amazing to me. Like I, I kind of have written off the political process in my whole life, just like, you know, like, you know, you feel like you throw your vote and it doesn't really matter. And then also like the candidates you can vote for, basically they're all bad. So, so I don't know who you're supposed to pick. I, I feel worse for the American listeners that I have, but uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible that you were able to push something through. And, and I think it, it goes to show you that like, you know, even if it's like at the national level, maybe maybe you don't have that sort of reach, but at the municipal level, that's where you're really gonna benefit from the changes that, that you can make. 
Well, and the good part is, uh, uh, you know, my son's twenty one now. I think almost twenty two. So some of the some of the um, stuff I'm advocating for, he'll get some enjoyment out of. But current, the future generations will have a massive change in what's available for them compared to what we had twenty years ago with our son. It's just we had nothing. So, uh, but when you when you uh, get the masses some of the masses in society and, uh, you know, some of these Facebook groups are incredible. I'm, I posted in there um, after a lot of my comments as on the Facebook page of the council were deleted or taken down because it was getting close to election time. So no negative comments. I put a post in this group that was a that was like 1,800 business people in this municipality. I said, I'm not sure if anyone else has seen this, but all my comments have been taken down about access and inclusion and it just went off. And it was a, and I didn't realize, but the mayor, multiple councillors, and directors were in that group. Next thing I had a councillor communicating with me at 11 30 at night on an email saying, This is what we're doing in access and inclusion. And then I'd like the mayor saying, I'd like to have a meeting with you. And this sort of said, no, just, it just changed the whole dynamic in one, in one Facebook post. I'm not a Facebook, I'm not big on Facebook, but it's amazing what you can do. I yeah. love it. I love yeah, it. I'm so I've probably taking the session off right off track a little bit there. But. No, I love it. Like I think like you know, we've talked a lot about the next generation kind of in this in this podcast, both from the mental health aspect and and you know what you were bringing up with inclusion and I think I think for for people listening like there's a lot to take and there's a lot to action and I think like it's about making the world a better place and that's why we have these discussions and that's why we're hoping that we can pass that stuff along to our kids or I don't have kids yet but but you know pass it along to the young, younger generation to make every like the world a better place mm. so I mean you know Greg I, I appreciate you joining us Jeff I appreciate you joining us and then Clive's already left so we appreciate him joining us as well and thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.